part of our church, we try to corporately celebrate that with them. So if you'd like to join in with that, come to Ray Hall tomorrow night, 6 p.m., and we will celebrate the Fuentes' first baby. Um, oh, yeah, it is. Co-ed. Yeah, That's, that, wasn't, that was a rhetorical question, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> is that a co-ed shower? Yeah, if you're a guy... You can come to the baby shower. They're not gonna like make you do the, the like clothespin game or, I, I've actually, other than a church, I've never been to, what, what do women do when it's just a women thing? What? People, are you hearing this or is this just crazy talk over here? Have, have any of you drank from a baby bottle at a baby shower? See, weirdos, weirdos over there. But they have the babies, so it is the cute section. There she is. So baby. Okay. Um, uh, junior high, go ahead, and you can head out and meet uh, Caleb on the deck. Um, and you can worship together with other junior hires. Michaela, that's not where you sit. <laughs> this is Michaela, and she's, she's got something to tell you. Hi. My name's Michaela. My husband and I... Um, have three awesome kids that we happen to adopt out of foster care. Through our journey of fostering and adopting, God has allowed us to start a ministry called Foster the Sierras, where we walk alongside other people who are going through that journey. And um, we just want to thank you as our body for supporting us logistically and financially so that we could go and support those that are part of this church body and also just part of our town. Um, as they try to figure out that path of foster care adoption and kinship. Um, our, our start to all of this began in a church in South Lake Tahoe where we wanted, we wanted to foster, but we had no idea how to start. And somebody came up to us and said, let me point you in the direction of where you can be certified. And that led us to adopting our three children. And we are always happy to share our journey with anybody that's interested in finding out more about that. Um, it's been an amazing journey, and just this past week, I had one of my kids, um, I had a mom moment where I said to one of my kids, I said, how did I get so lucky to be your mom? And this child just looked at me and said, well, you just said yes, in the most innocent way, and I had to step away and um, take a tearful moment of the simplicity and the beauty um, of how that began and how that went, of just saying yes to that call in our lives. And yes, there has been um, a lot of the legal process and just the drama of raising kids and everything else. Um, but the beauty of just saying yes has been a gift from God and he has walked with us every single step of the way. Um, if you have questions about foster care, adoption, kinship, uh, maybe you're interested in building community with our community, please put your name in, and phone number in the back at the info booth and I will follow up and give you a call um, because we would love to connect with you and share a little bit more life together. Thank you. So if you are brand new to us, uh, there's information about our church in, in the pockets in front of you, but make sure if you've got unanswered questions that you, you ask people. There's people like Brian in the back who'd be like, I'm happy to answer all questions or point you in the right direction. There's all kinds of people around like that. So make sure that you do that. Now, because for whatever reason, second service is not quite as lively as first service. That's legit. It's, it's real. I don't know why, but it is. So I'm going 
to remind you how exciting it is that we are about to open the words of God and you get to hear from our, your senior pastor, everybody. Let's get excited about that. A big round of applause. Yeah. That's why we hired him. Good morning. Um, if I haven't met you, as he stated, my name's Jesse. And uh, I am privileged to be great of a part team here. I want to just highlight a couple more things before we get in the word. Uh, and so uh, if you want to, while I do this, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's the book that we're in. If you don't have a Bible, <clears throat> raise your hand. One of these guys in the back would love to give you one. Just keep your hand up. If you don't own a Bible, you can take this one for free. Uh, and uh, if you just want to borrow it, that's okay too. You can leave it in your seat or, or whatever. Uh, we'll take care of it for you. Um, but <clears throat> I want to let you know of a couple things um, that are pretty neat. One is in the past, and one is something that we're praying about for the future. Uh, in the past, last week, I think it was last week, that summer's been flying by, we, uh, we had our VBS, which is for our kids. want to just let you know we had 95 kids uh, come to VBS, which is great. In total, 25-plus volunteers, and six kids decided to follow Jesus last week, which is really incredible. So praise God for that. Yeah, amen. <clears throat> and then a little bit of history, and then we'll talk future here for just a moment. Like I said, in the past, future. Um, I've been part of this church uh, since I was a little kid, but <clears throat> really my grandparents uh, attended here when it was just that building. And one of the things that has been happening in our congregation within our church, which we're very thankful for, we're very thankful for your resources, very thankful for the way that you support our church. Uh, over, the, over the last 20 years, the church has just slowly grown. And we're at a place, if you, you kind of look around here this morning, and this is something we've been saying for years, uh, you know, we're pretty full, pretty full in the first service as well. Uh, and years ago, about 50 plus years ago, almost 60 years, somebody in faith stood up and said, you know what, here I am, Lord, send me. And they planted this church in a bar right across the street from the Truckee High School. I admire that man's faith. I think it's amazing. It was the only place closed on Sundays, which is why they met there. Uh, and then in faith, someone purchased this land, and they built that building right over here, Ray Hall. Pastor Ray was an incredible man as well, great pastor. He passed away in an airplane crash, uh, and that's why that building is named after him, in memory of him. And then someone stood up and said, you know what? Uh, we need to build this building on this same piece of property, and this is the building that you're sitting in now. And so with all of that said, as your pastor, as the guy that God has called to steward the gifts here, I've continued to pray and ask the Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have me do to, for the future generations? I think, I think it's really obvious God's going to continue to reach people in Truckee, whether I'm here or not. And so I've asked the Lord, what would you have me do for the next generation? One of those things, we've talked about purchasing land, which is there's some land available, um, it's very expensive. I don't know if you know this or not, but dirt and truckies like pretty pricey. And, uh, but I don't want to leave the center of town. I, I just can't see us going somewhere where there is more land because, right, the city on a hill, we're a bright light and we're in the community. And so that kind of leaves us landlocked. And, and so we've been praying about what God would have us do. And, and we don't know completely yet, but a, an op another opportunity has kind of presented itself to us that we weren't expecting. Uh, we're also praying about church planning, by the way, too. That's something that we're thinking about. Just praying through. We don't know. There's no conclusions. I'm just sharing with you as family. 
Uh, and one of, there's another church in town uh, right by McDonald's, a little small church called Deerfield Community Church. It's a teeny church that has struggled for over 30 years. It's been a church that really just has not been able to gain traction or ground in a long time. That church has a little bit of history for me as well as a kid who grew up in this area. My grandparents were part of that church for several years. My biological father, when he came out of prison, was baptized in that church. And so it holds a little bit of a unique and special place in my heart. Uh, they're at a place where literally uh, they have come and said, we're, we're probably going to close. We don't have anybody. We're, we're, we, we've tried what we can. Uh, and so we are in conversations with them about how to maybe assist help them, uh, bless them. We don't know what it looks like, but there's an opportunity for us as a leadership to possibly ensure that another Bible-believing church stays open in Truckee, California, uh, which is a great opportunity. And so I just mentioned that to you to let you know that we're praying through that. We have a meeting uh, tomorrow with the pastor uh, from that church. His name is James Stark. He's a wonderful Bible teacher, a great guy. I I highly appreciate him. Uh, And so if you would, just be praying for us. Uh, as God is on the move to still continue to keep his church alive in Truckee. Amen? Yeah, you are quieter than the first service. Um, uh, With that said, in addition to that, uh, this morning as we get into the text, like I said, Ephesians chapter 4, we have our missionaries that we support in the Basque country. One of the ways that they, uh, you know, preach the gospel there, they're trying to plant a church there, but they also teach students English as an introductory way uh, to introduce Christ to those in the Basque country. And this morning, I want to introduce you. um, Brad took the microphone. Do you have the microphone, Brad? Uh, I want to introduce you to Ainoa from the Basque country. She's going to read our passage for us this morning in her original language in Basque. And we've got it. We're going to put it up behind you. And so please give a warm welcome to Ainoa from the Basque country as she reads for us. Would you please stand with us as we honor the word? The word? Thank you. Efeso Arrey, laugarren capítulo as espigarren berchotica mairu garrenera. Baña gutarico bacoeta, Cristo que man naisandio neuria narto dudoaina. Orregetic dio liburus acratuac, gorenera y gosenean, gatibuac berequin era mansitu en etagaistoi, doaina que mansisquien. Y gosela esatean seresanaidu. Aurre. Aurres de eco lurro netara hechice la baisic. Hechice nura cero gorenera dena betetzera y godena verada. Verada batsu capostulo eginsutena. Besta atsu profeta. Besta atsu berrion en ocheguie. Besta atsu carzain et iragasle. Orela galle gitendo fededuna veren servicio la neraco eta cristoren gorputza arceco. Arik eta denok elkarrekin zinetxi eta jainkoaren semearen ezagutza berbera izaten arte, eldutasun bateko pertsona, kristoren betetazunearen neurriko izatera iritsi arte. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you. Well, Lord, we thank you that you not only reached Truckee, California, you reached the nations. You're a God of the entire world. Uh, And this morning, Lord, as we discuss what it means to be unified, but also to have diversity within the church, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in every way. We trust you for this morning to do a work in our hearts. There's no doubt that there are someone, if not someones here, 
who've never heard the great news of your message. Lord, and it is their day of salvation. I pray that they would hear your voice and they would respond. For those of us who are family, those of us who are called by your name, we know that the preaching of the word is effective in building up our faith, that we would glorify you in this life and eternity forevermore. We trust you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Please be seated. Brad Beers did a great job speaking last week and introducing us a little bit further into chapter 4 on what makes the church unified, the unity of the church. Up into chapter 4, we basically have been speaking of what we would call positional truth. Positional truth is the truth in which God sees us positionally. That is, if we stood before God as Christians... Those of us who put our faith in Christ, we stand as pure, righteous, and acceptable to God. That is positional truth. Whether you know that or not as a Christian, whether that's seeped into your soul or not as a Christian, you need to know that is the way that God sees you if you believe in him. In chapter 4 on, we now begin to get into the practical truths, the truths that flow out of the gospel. None of the things that Paul will teach in chapter 4 or like in chapter 5, where he'll discuss what it is to have a healthy marriage as a practical truth. None of these things make us acceptable to God. They're outflowing of being accepted by God. They are, if you will, chapter 4 through 6, they are acts of worship. And last week, Brad, I, I would label them as three truths that unify us. There's a spiritual unity that we learned about last week. That unity is our divine calling. Paul had a calling. He said he was called by grace. We are also unified by Christ-like conduct, the kind of conduct that should exist within the body of Christ. That conduct includes humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. You know what bearing with one another in love means? It literally means to put up with one another. You know, like some of you in your marriages, you put up with each other. In love, you bear with one another. Those are are things that we are united by in conduct. And then we're also unified, and Brad shared this again last week in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 4, by gospel confessions, seven gospel confessions. They're labeled as one spirit, one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father. That is the unity that exists in the church. This unity, Paul, time and time again, actually says about us in this congregation, and not only us in this congregation, but all of the congregations that are called by faith. Whether it's that church on Deerfield or or another church in Reno or another church in Africa, that if they believe in the word of God and they preach the gospel, we are the body of Christ, the big C, and we're connected. And Paul loves this idea of communicating that the church is like a body, and a body that has many different functions. If you had time and and you wanted to, if you're a great student or if you're a note taker, look at chapter one, verse 22, or chapter two, verse 16, or chapter three, verse six, or chapter four, verse four. And even in chapter five, as well as chapter six, Paul will use this term, we are the body of Christ. There should be an incredible amount of unity that exists in the church. And that unity should express itself in the congregation as Brad likely, uh, sh- as he shared last week, in humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and love. 
But now he gets into this idea of gift giving to the church, giving gifts to the church, giving gifts not only to the church body, but also giving you as an individual a gift, that God has gifted you. And as he has gifted you as a church, you have an obligation to use those gifts. Do you like receiving gifts? How many of you have really embraced that it is better to give than to receive? Yeah, I shared this in the first gathering, but you know, my, my grandmother, she, she lived here as a little girl and she had a house right up uh, High Street. And if you go up there today, even now, if you go right up that steep street up to the post office, you'll see what used to be a house. It's only a foundation that's there. In fact, as you look at it, you'll wonder how in the world was there a house there at all. And my grandmother grew up in a, a time in, a, uh, in an age where, where money was kind of hard and scarce. And I remember telling us stories of, of at Christmas time, it was a big deal if you got a gift, one single gift. And because of that, because of the way in which they, my grandparents grew up, Christmas time is like a really big deal. Not just because of Jesus, but because it's now an opportunity for them to just bless the entire family. And if you walk into my grandparents' house, all of the family will meet there on Christmas day. It's too small for all of us really to fit in. And it's even smaller because when you walk in, and I kid you not, there are gifts from the ground to the tip of the Christmas tree. Because my grandparents' theory now is it doesn't really matter what the gift is. It just matters that you get to open more than one. And so with that comes all kinds of fun gifts. Because my grandmother loves bargain gifts, right? She, she'll, find, she'll find something and she'll go, that's perfect for Jesse. Or that's perfect for, for my mom or my, my, my wife. And, and, and most of the time it's fitting, but every now and then it's, oh man, Nana, what did you do here? I remember one particular gift that my grandmother gave my stepfather. He was unwrapping it and he peeled open the package and what came out of the package was the poofiest, most reflective silver jacket you have ever seen. (laughs) Now remember, I've told you stories. My stepfather rode Harley Davidson's. You don't wear such jackets on Harley Davidson's. And I remember him holding it open like this and looking at my grandmother and saying, what am I, going to the moon, Donna? <laughs> right? There, and what I want you to, to realize is that when God gives you as an individual a gift, there are no wasted gifts. There are no gifts that are smaller than or less than. There's only perfect gifts given by Jesus Christ. And what he does is Paul, in this letter, he moves away from unity. And then if you take a look at verse 7, look at what he says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Stop. Now, it's important. It's kind of fun when you study Scripture because when you study Scripture and you're looking at words in Scripture and you're actually taking each, as we believe, in in what is called verbal plenary inspiration. That's just a fancy way of saying we believe every word of God is perfect and inerrant and in place. And you have this little word in the English here as you read it in, in verse 7, and you might miss it because he says, but. That word but is a contrast word. What Paul is literally saying here is he's saying, okay, we are unified. We have seven unified statements, but, or another way he would say it, on the other hand, or in spite of, what? Individuality. 
So we have this great unity in the church, but now Paul wants to make sure that the church is not churning out the same Christian after the same Christian. We are not, the church is not a cooker-cutty, a cooker-cutty, yeah. A cooker, a cooker. I haven't preached in like four weeks, so. A cookie-cutter factory. Right? You don't want every Christian to look the same. And I know because I've been part of congregations or I've been part of churches or I've been part of church places where they're literally trying to get you to think the same, believe the same, act the same, sing the same. And what Paul is saying here is that the body should be a very diversified body because of the unique giftings that God has given every single person. Paul is laying out from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6 the realities of a healthy church. And one of the first marks of a healthy church is a healthy church is marked by diversity. Not just in, in cultural background, not just in race or, or anything like that, but also in its gifting. How we use our gifts and how we, we serve God with those gifts. Take note what he says here. He says it in a few different places. He says, Paul says, but grace was given. Notice the word given there. Go to verse, uh, where is it? Verse um, 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave. There's the word gave. Verse 7 as well, but grace was given to each one, right? There's this idea that Jesus is a grace giver. He distributes grace. He divvies out grace. And because he's a giving God, Paul is encouraging us as a church to also use our gifts as a giving way to the church, as it truly is better to give than to receive. And because we've received from Christ, and because it's in Christ's nature to give, likewise, we should be givers as well. And the way that you do that is by using your unique spiritual gift. The first instruction this morning is that you have a gift. You may not know what that is. And the point of the message this morning isn't necessarily that you would discover it today, but that you would at least be aware of the fact that Christ has given you this gift or multiple gifts. Romans chapter 12 says it like this. We're one body, many members, and not all members have the same function. So though we are many we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then here's the instruction. Let us use them. What is your gift and are you using it? 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. So God in his sovereignty has seen fit to give you gifts. And he tells us in Corinthians again, he says the same kind of language. There's a variety of these, a variety of services, but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers all. There's a different way that these gifts play out. They're unique and they're special. And for Paul, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3. If you go back in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, to me, though I'm the, I'm the, was that my phone ringing or someone else's phone? That scared me. Did I just hear a weird buzz in there? Okay. My watch has notified me three times since we've been up here, uh, and so I'm tripping. We continue. In chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Though I'm the very least of all the saints, even though I'm the least of all, I didn't walk with the 12, I didn't see Jesus walk on water, 
I didn't get to hang out with him for three years. I didn't see him rebuke the Pharisees. I'm the least of the saints, he says. Even though he's written most of the New Testament, but he says, but grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. Do you hear it? He says, my unique gift, even though he's, he's Jewish, God had given him a unique gift to preach and to preach specifically to the Gentiles. He says, this is a gift that was given to me. And for you, he has given you a gift. Again, what is that gift? Now, you have to understand how big this is and how important it is that Christ has given you a gift. Because the text tells us what a big deal it is. The the text tells us how he was able to give you these gifts. And again, within this passage, it's it's Paul, again, just honing us in back into the gospel, back into grace. And there's this this really fun, I I like, I had a lot of questions after the first sermon, which helped me dial this in a little bit better. Because this is one of those passages that if you're a conspiracy theorist in the the Bible, this is the passage that you're going to just lean into because you're like, what is he saying? Listen to it. To each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he's giving you gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So now it's talking about he's ascending on high. And as he ascended on high, he he gave captives. Captives, what in the world's happening here? Why is he introducing captives in this? Then he goes in verse nine and there's a parenthetical statement. It's in in parentheses here, you see it? In saying he ascended, what does it mean? And everyone in the church is definitely like, yeah, what does this mean? Paul knows that this is an interesting thing that he's saying. What does it mean that he also descended? If he ascended, he's saying, what does it mean that he, then he also had to have descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he says, and then he gave. We'll get to that next part in a moment. So let's just discuss what in the world is he talking about? He ascended, took captives. But if he ascended, it also means that he descended. What does he mean? Paul's quoting Psalm 68, not all of it, just a portion of it. And he's alluding to this reality that that this psalm is going to help enlighten us to what he is saying. Psalm 68 is, is what we would call a hymn of victory. It was composed by David to celebrate God and specifically God's victory over God's enemies and David's enemies. It was a psalm of victory. And, and what was really typical, right? So what had happened is several of God's people have been held captive. They have been enslaved. And, and, and David now is going, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm going to go free these people. So David does that along with God's help. He frees those individuals. And then what would occur when he then entered into the city of Jerusalem, if he entered back into the kingdom, he would then march with all the spoils of war. And this was typical for any nation. They would do like a big parade, right? A big 4th of July deal. And they would march everyone down the street and they would march down the spoils of war and they would march down the, 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 those who had been, those who were held captive, those who were now slaves. But you know who else was in the march? All those who were held captive, who are now free, they would be on that march. What is he saying? Well, literally what he's saying when he talks about this dissension, this particular verse is talking specifically about Christ's incarnation. 
that Jesus descended to the lowest parts that he possibly could go. He went to the lowest of the lowest. And there's all kinds of language in the New Testament. You can, you can look up this particular word that's used uh, in, in a mother's womb down to the lower parts of the earth. It's just language that Jesus went as low as he possibly could, lower than low. He became the servant of all. And when he became the servant of all, He preached the gospel. He died on the cross for our sins and he liberated those who were once his. You understand? Are you with me? This is crazy stuff. It's gonna get weird here in a moment. You just wait for it. Buckle up, everyone buckle up. Put your helmet on, here it comes. And this reality that Jesus comes and he has triumphed over sin, triumphed over death, preached the gospel, liberated you, right? When you, you once, as a people, Every single one of us, before Adam and Eve, if you will, or if you just look at Adam and Eve, we walked in the cool of the day. We actually got to walk with God. Our people, our heritage was that of Adam and Eve who walked in the garden and then sin entered to the world and it held us captive to where now everyone in this room, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are a captive to your sin And you only will choose sin and addiction and depression until the gospel gets into your heart and he liberates you. Jesus descended and gave this message. And then after he died on the cross and three days later, he resurrected from the dead. His first thing that he did was he ascended into heaven so he could give you gifts. Jesus went to the lowest parts of the earth, the lowest part of humanity. He carried your sin and your wickedness. And then if you remember, what does he say to his disciples? I've got to go. I have to go. And you can only imagine what that would be like for these disciples. This man has become like a father, a brother, a friend, a forgiver. Why can you leave? Why would you leave? Don't leave. And Jesus literally says to them, it's good that I go for you so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. This is a massive deal. In the Old Testament, only particular men like David had the Spirit cover them. In the New Testament, every single believer upon faith receives the Spirit of God individually inside of you. That's the first gift you get. And if you don't think that's a big deal, you have to understand what Scripture says about the Spirit of God, that it is the Spirit of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Do you know, my friends, that when you accept Christ as your savior, the first gift that he gives you is death conquering kind of stuff. Isn't that good news? That's incredible news. But his spirit doesn't go just there. He he gives you so much more. He gives you an individual gift. But this gets even a little more interesting. You don't have to turn there, but at least I'll, I'll make mention of it in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 says that Jesus went down to those in prison and preached to those in prison that they would be liberated. This is the language that our forefathers would say that literally Jesus went into hell, this place called Sheol. And it was seen in Sheol like it was, they call it Abraham's bosom. Has anyone ever heard those terms before? This is the place of of death and destruction, if you will, but Abraham's bosom, uh, and I don't have all of the details because the Bible doesn't give us all of the details, but within Abraham's bosom was the place, and Peter tells us, those who perished in Noah's flood, those like Noah, those like Abraham, it would be the place of paradise. And then the other side of Abraham's bosom is the place of torture and death and and, and demons. 
those who rejected God, those who are going to reject God. And the language that Peter uses is not only did Jesus was he incarnated on this earth, but he went all the way down to hell, all the way down to the pit of hell to liberate the captives from Noah's day, to liberate Moses, to liberate Jeremiah, to liberate Isaiah, to liberate Hosea and take them to heaven with him. That's the march. Jesus took his people out of that place, even though it was Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise, and he led them to the holy of holies to be in the presence of God. Christ has gone all the way down so he can take you all the way up. And when he takes you all the way up, he says, I, I want to give you, I want to give you a gift on this earth I wanna give you this gift, whatever that gift may be, as he says in here, take a, take a look at verse seven. Grace was given to who? Who's each one? That's you. <laughs> Brad's pointing at the person next to him. Each one of us. And then he uses this next word. He says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So a gift was given and a measure of that gift was given. Why is that important? Because two people can have the same gift, but the measure of the gift is different and unique. Right, when I, I grew up in, I didn't grow up in, I was trained within a Calvary chapel. So my first five years of ministry were under a gentleman by the name of Mike McIntosh. Mike McIntosh was one of the original, uh, one of the original interns under Chuck Smith along with Raul Reese, uh, John Corson, um, Greg Laurie, uh, and a few others. And there was a saying that we used to have within the Calvary Chapel uh, in that circle, especially as preachers were growing up. Quit trying to sound like Chuck Smith. You sound just like him. Right? And there was a mentality that well, what Chuck did, and if you've ever seen the Jesus Revolution movie, that has Chuck Smith in it, and he had a great impact with the gospel and the, the, the Jesus Revolution days and all of that. And, and guys wanted to mimic that and duplicate that. And if you get into some of these churches where you have kind of celebrity-esque type pastors, you'll find young men trying to sound like these men. Don't do that. Because you're your own person. God wants you to find your own voice and your own gift. Don't compare your gifts to somebody else. Don't compare the gift that God has given you as less than, than somebody else's because God has given us a measure of that as he sees fit. And what's interesting is in Romans, it actually will later tell us that he has given us a measure of faith. So it appears now that God has given us a gift of measurement and a measurement of faith to use that gift. How do, what does that mean? Okay. What that means is God gifted Billy Graham to preach. And God gave Billy Graham the kind of faith to preach to millions. That was the measurement God gave Billy. God gave me a measurement of faith to preach to anyone and everyone that would come into this building on a Sunday morning in Truckee, California. When it's all said and done, I have preached to thousands of people over the last 20 years. They've come and they've gone. It's not millions but it's definitely thousands. That's the measurement of faith that God has given me. The number one fear people have is public speaking. And you may go, well, he just loves being up front. No, I don't. I hate it. Ask my wife. I am not the kind of guy that walks into a room and says, I'm an introvert by nature. 
but I'm only able to do this because it's the gift that God has given me and he's given it to me in the measure that he has seen fit for me to stand on this stage. I am completely incapable of practicing this gift without the gift of faith that God has given me. Do you see this? Why is this important? Because not only has God given you a gift, he's given you the perfect amount to use that gift, the perfect amount of faith to use it. So some of you may be saying, well, I'm not using my gift because I'm, I'm afraid. You have the faith. You have no excuse. You need to use your gift. One author says believers' gifts are not determined by their preferences, their inclinations, their natural abilities, their merit, or any other personal consideration, but solely by God's sovereign and gracious will. We are gifted according to his plan, his purpose, his measure, and we have, it has no more... We have no more to do with determining our gift than we did with determining what color of skin, hair, or eyes we would be born with. God is the source of electing grace, equipping grace, and enabling grace. Some of you might know when I was a little kid, the same grandmother of which I spoke of, she would pray over me when I was a little kid and she would say to me, Jesse, you're going to be my pastor one day. I thought she was crazy because she is. Well, I love you, Nana. She's here this morning. Believers' gifts are like snowflakes or fingerprints, distinctly beautiful. We're not churning out the same person after the same person. We don't want that. And here's, here's part of the lesson that needs to be shared this morning. If you neglect your individual gift, the body suffers to the measure of your gift. We lose out on that. If you know how to sing and you're not singing in front of people and you're not using that gift of singing to the glory of God, you're neglecting the gift that Jesus went all the way down to the lowest parts of the regions of the earth to get for you. Why would you do that? He purchased you with his precious blood. If you love kids, Get next door and start serving those kids. If you know how to build, build. We got some things to build around here. If you know how to make money, you know where that goes. If you like making babies, the Lens and everyone else, they hang out in that family room. <laughs> God has given the Lens, who have seven kids, a large measure of faith that I don't have. But you can't neglect it because the encouragement is that we would use these gifts because they are that precious and they are that beautiful and there's no wasted gift. Quit comparing your voice to Sarah's or your ability to lead like a Brad Knoll and just start using your gift because it's precious and he purchased it. What's even more beautiful though is he gives, he, in case you wonder, well, 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 I need to grow in using my gifts. You do. I need to figure out what my gift is. You might need to do that. And this is why Paul then says that the church has then been given five special gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Look at verse 10. He who descended is the one who also, who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave. What did he give the church? This is to everybody. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints of the work of the ministry. 
If you ever hear a Christian say, I can be a Christian and not go to church. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but you can't fulfill this. Because the Bible literally says that one of the gifts that God has given you is those who are apostles, those are foundational builders, the first 12. In the strictest sense, there are no more apostles. But in a looser sense, apostle means sent one. There are still people who are sent out. That's the discussion of the Deerfield Church or church planting. It's gonna take an apostle type person. Prophets are also foundational. In the strict sense, there is no more Jeremiah, Isaiah, but there still are those who motivate with truth. That is ultimately what a prophet is. They motivate people with truth, specifically the preaching of God's word. Then he's also given the church evangelists. That's a great gift to the church. Those are people who know how to go outside of these walls and get people who don't know Jesus inside to hear the gospel, or they're really good when they're outside of these walls preaching the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Do you know those kind of folks? I was just down in Santa Cruz with uh, Travis, who was one of our elders, and, and Travis, literally, while we were there, this is so cool. Travis, while we were there in Santa Cruz, staying at the house, he got up early in the morning, and he would go on a run, but he didn't go on a run to get fit. He went on a run to go find sinners who needed to hear the gospel. And he'd come back and be like, oh, I had a conversation with this guy. I had a conversation with this guy. That's the gift of evangelist. He gave the church pastors. In in other places in scripture, it's the same word, elder, overseer, shepherd, guardian. What's the job of, of a pastor? To fight heresy and to feed the people, to shepherd you. God gave you a gift to protect you from false doctrine and false teachers. Just so you know, we are, we are what is called an elder-led church. We don't have an executive board. We don't have a leadership board because that's not biblical. We have elders. I know that sounds weird in the culture and in the world, but that's just because they don't understand the things of God. Elders are unique men who know how to pe- preach the word of God in a way that feeds, strengthens, and encourages the congregation. But you also need teachers. Right, like my job here in preaching, a little bit more charismatic, a little bit more faith-filled, but a teacher is going to be knowledgeable. You can you can have a teacher who doesn't know how to pastor, but you can't have a pastor who doesn't know how to teach, and that's in Timothy. It tells us specifically that elders have to have an ability to teach. So there's a uniqueness there. All of these things are a gift to you. You have an individual gift. It might be singing. It might be serving. It may be proclaiming the gospel. And you cannot, nor should you not, ever neglect those things. You must use those things. But also know that God has given you leaders in the church to help equip you to learn how to use those gifts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says this to the elders. Elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. You hear that first instruction for your pastor? First instruction for me? Pay close attention to my own life. I have to look at my life and ask what should and should not be there. What am I doing well and what needs improvement? Is my heart healthy? Does it need a little bit of correction? Luckily, God has given me a beautiful wife who knows how to teach me all of those things. But then it also says, Not only is the pastor and the elder to pay careful attention to themselves, but to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, you have people in this church, myself, Brad Beers, Joe Casey next door, even Abby, who's our children's director, Brad Knoll, 
Caleb Dero. You have a team of people here to build you up, to equip your faith. And one of the things that we've been strategically doing as a church is, is decentralizing my leadership, decentralizing what I do, because this is the family of God, and the family of God needs way more than just one lead guy. It needs Jesus as the lead guy, and then the church needs very faithful men who love Jesus who also care about you, because the way that the language is here is that the people in the congregation are also a gift to the pastors. I need you to know that because you are a gift to me. Not a gift as in, oh, you're mine. Not in a gift that, that I somehow possess you. Not in a gift of some kind of prideful way, but in the fact that I see you as a tremendous blessing in my life. It is a privilege to pastor at Sierra Bible Church. Right, Brad? All right. Good answer. So what are our last takeaways as we get ready to close here in a moment? This equipping that's given to you, this gifting that's given to you is really a big deal. Hebrews 13, 7 says this about these kind of men. Remember your leaders. Think about them. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The individual I always use whenever I teach this is Pastor Wayne, the pastor who was leading this church before me. Right, Wayne is retired now. But not really, because there's no such thing as retirement, especially for a guy like Wayne. He, he's actually right now in Alta, trying to help another church in Alta to be, to be grounded in the word and to find their next lead guy. That, that's what he's doing right now. And if you were to look at Wayne's life, you would find that his daughter's, Three of them and his son, they all worship the Lord. They all follow Jesus. Their grandkids all follow Jesus. If you were to speak to Wayne and then speak to his wife, Sandy, Sandy would tell you, I still absolutely love Wayne. That's a miracle in and of itself. I worked with the guy for several years. That's a miracle. It's beautiful. And I don't say that just to be funny. I say it because the reality is if you look at the life of Wayne, if you remember who he is, and though he's on the tail end of his career, why would you not want to imitate someone's faith like that? Great family heritage. Wonderful reputation in this community. Doctors and nurses still call him. People still reach out and say, I'd like Pastor Wayne to come visit me in this, whatever it may be. You see, Scripture says if you're going to use this gift and if you're going to grow in this gift, you have to have good leaders in the church. And hopefully these good leaders, you can look at the outcome of their life and say, I want to imitate their faith. Notice it doesn't say imitate their actions because there's a difference. Paul would say it like this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. First Peter would say this to all those who are younger. Those who are younger, be subject. Put yourself under the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility. If you're younger in this room, it's not just an age thing, it's also a spiritual maturity thing. There's something beautiful that happens when you subject yourself, humble yourself under good leadership. Your gift thrives, your gift grows, and you do the work of the ministry, and God is glorified. I mean, this is an amazing deal to know that in Ephesians chapter 1, we're basically told that Jesus planned all of this out before the foundation of the world. He knew your name. He knew the day and age you'd be born. 
He knew the community you would live in. He knew the gift that he would give you. And now the question is, will you use that gift? Or will you ignore it? Will you leave it on the table? Could you imagine Beethoven just quitting writing music? Could you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger no longer lifting weights? <laughs> Stupid. Can you imagine Sarah not using this gift on Sunday? I would punch her in the nose. I've known Sarah since she was like this. God's given her a unique gift. Could you imagine what life would be like if artists neglected their gift, if bands neglected their gift? Could you imagine if it was only one person up here with one clanging symbol, like Corinthians says, all of us should have the gift of love. That's the greatest thing to use. So even if you don't know what to do, just start loving people. I don't have a gift. I don't know my gift. Love people. Use your gift. Don't neglect the gift. Jesus went all the way down to give you that gift so he could go all the way up and then dish it out freely to you. Grace has been given to you in a particular measure. My encouragement to you this morning is that you would use it. God would be glorified and the church would grow. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we... We again invite you to minister to us as we sing. I know Sarah has picked a wonderful song, Lord, that really, in all honesty, there, there's nothing we can give you but our gratitude. At the same time, though, Lord, we know that you've given us these gifts that we could give them right back to you in service. And I pray for those who need a gentle nudge a, a gentle rebuke that they're neglecting their gift that they would choose today to no longer do that but an even greater invitation lies at everyone's feet that if you this morning have never invited Christ to be your father your god your savior your brother your friend your redeemer your justifier pray that you would pray right now a prayer of acceptance and faith. I mean, it's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. And all you need to pray to God in order to be saved is, Lord, I believe. And even then, Lord, we pray, help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here who needs more direction or guidance in that salvation, they would reach out to the pastors of this church who are here to equip them and build them up. We trust you for this because you're the only one who can do it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen.